Welcome to the Open to Wonder podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Karen. And together with our guests, we wonder about all kinds of faith questions. Big ones, small ones, weird ones, hard to talk about in church ones. Join us as we explore how faith is formed and lived out in our everyday lives. So imagine you're around seven years old and you've been learning how to play the piano. And one day the pianist and the organist at your church both call in sick. Your pastor looks at you and says, hey, you're playing this morning. And before you know it, you're eight years old and directing the adult choir. (laughs) Welcome to the life and times of Jeremy Simpson. Jeremy is a Reformed pastor currently serving in the oldest Baptist church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. He's a graduate of Western Theological Seminary, a commissioned pastor through the Reformed Church in America, and serves in campus ministry as the co-executive director of the Wesley Foundation in Kalamazoo. Jeremy is a gifted worship leader. Karen and I experienced that firsthand when he led worship at the Inspire Conference a couple years ago. And he's a talented musician. In the show notes, you'll find a link to an Advent song for worship, which he composed with Sean G. Saunders. Jeremy has a wonderful way of using real-life examples to illustrate important concepts, like the connection between leadership and discipleship, the intersection between culture and worship, and the difference between being invited to sit at the table and being welcomed to the table as a full participant. We spoke about all of those things and more during our conversation with Jeremy, and we left feeling both inspired and encouraged. We think you will too. Open to Wonder with guest Jeremy Simpson starts now. Welcome, Jeremy Simpson. We are so grateful that you've carved out some time to spend with us today. And and Chris and I have been looking so forward to talking to you. So we're glad that you're here. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Glad to be with you guys today. So Chris and I do a lot of wondering about different parts of faith formation. And and some of what we've been wondering about lately is that the um, intersection between um, worship and and culture and how worship forms faith and mm-hmm. um before we just like totally dive into there into that i have a question for you because chris and i were in a meeting with you not long ago and you mentioned that um when you were 8 years old you were directing the choir at mm-hmm. church and that um, piqued my curiosity. And I thought there's got to be a backstory there. So <laughs> can you tell us more about that? How did that happen? Who, sure. how, what was that like for you? Yeah, it was um, an amazing and challenging and growing experience. Um, I was very involved in church music from a young age because uh, my grandmother would teach me hymns from the hymnal at church. Um, we had a whole, we didn't have our hymns in the P-Rex. We had them in a like a section off in the back of the church. And so if we were singing hymns that morning, you would grab one and bring it to your seat. And I remember saying to her, I wanted to learn how to play those hymns. And so she played accordion and um, taught me how to play them on the piano. And at the time, um, I must've been about three or four years old. 
And so then um, when I was about seven, uh, the pianist and organist at the church um, got really ill. And I remember one Sunday, my pastor said, hey, you're playing this morning. And so um, I just remember thinking, okay, well, I'm just going to have to do it. Um, and I played, I, I knew how to read music, but I was still a little kid. And so I, I had a very strong ear. And so I remember playing, um, this is the day, you know, and I'll enter his gates with, you know, my left hand like this and one finger on the other and uh, just kind of pounding it out. And then that turned into um, leading the praise team. And at that time, I mean, I kind of considered myself a worship veteran, although I do still lead worship regularly. Um, we were connecting the Sony Discman to a karaoke machine to, you know, record tapes. Right. And so um, I would record the tapes and would pause the pause the recording, put on another CD, record that song, put on another CD, record that song, and then duplicate the tapes for um, the worship team. And then um, our choir director was married to our associate pastor and they had moved away. And so it was another situation where the pastor was like, Hey, you're already, you know, coordinating the, the praise team. So can you direct the choir? And so, um, started conducting and directing the adult choir and, you know, learning the songs to be able to teach them. And yeah, that was, that was my experience growing up in the church. It was uh, very formative and it really gave me a, um, really gave me a launching pad into ministry. I didn't realize, you know, really what ministry was at that age. To me, it was, you know, we're, we're singing songs and we're worshiping the Lord together. And this feels great. This feels, you know, really wonderful to be able to do that in that context. But I didn't realize the magnitude of what was happening um, in those moments at that age. It wasn't until I was probably about 12 or 13 that I started to really realize what was going on. Hmm. This was amazing. Um, okay. Okay. Even that is amazing that at the ripe old age of 12 and 13, you were looking back and realizing, right? Like aware of, I mean, that's incredible. So it sounds like that was a really a faith form, a faith shaping experience for you. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I didn't know how to, um, I didn't know how to act, um, in some of those circles at that age, because, you're a child, but you're also dealing with adults. And so I always had to, um, I always had to kind of have my act together, so to speak. Um, but I didn't realize in the process at that time that it was really forming what ministry would look like for me lifelong. Um, I didn't realize that it was forming my faith in a way that would both challenge me to grow, but also really nurtured and created and provided a space for that growth to be nurtured in. And that really um, has inspired much of my ministry throughout the years. I've always had a a heart and a passion for connecting with the next generation and connecting with children and youth. Um, because I think we, we do a a great disservice to the next generation. We don't include them in what's happening in worship when we don't include them in leadership. And when I think of my own story, my story is not very different than many others. Um, we have to cultivate those gifts we have to cultivate um, those gifts in children at a young age so that they can begin to see and be nurtured in that way. And so it was, yeah, it was a very interesting time for me. Well, and and I'm guessing part of the culture, because you're eight, nine, 10, 11, um, would have been okay with errors. Okay. Oh, with, yeah. Right. But there was a sense of, we're, we're just going to do this and see what happens. And, and yeah. Yeah. 
you know, my grandmother used to tell me when I was a kid, she would say, you're going to have your own church one day. And I never, when she would make that statement to me, I never, I I don't know if I didn't believe her, if I just thought this woman's crazy. (laughs) And um, it was interesting because as a child, I would go outside and we lived in the north side of Holland. So there were a lot of cornfields and it was a very um, rural area. And so um, out there in Holland, Michigan, I would preach out to the cornfields a lot. And um, that was coupled with, you know, going back to the church um, and then playing the organ and playing the piano. And I didn't realize uh, at that time that God was calling me. Um, I didn't realize that he was calling me into ministry, even at a young age. Um, You know, we read the story of David and we think about David embracing a field of anonymity and not even realizing that at some point God is going to anoint you to be king. And in in essence, I'm not saying that I was king, but um, (laughs) I, I really sensed. Um, God's anointing from a young age um, and just the ability to be able to understand music differently. Um, And it was really an interesting bridge for me, even into understanding reformed theology, because I, my background is in the Pentecostal church. Mm. Um, And so the church that I was reared in was Pentecostal. And when I started uh, taking pipe organ lessons, my pipe organ teacher uh, played at a Christian reformed church that wasn't far from our Pentecostal church. And so I began to play the pipe organ in their rotation of organists when I was about 10. And um, I remember from a young age thinking, man, this is, this is so different. I'm getting all these different cultures and all these different sounds and connecting with all these different people. My church was very homogenous and it was a, a black Pentecostal church. The Christian Reformed church was all white um, and the music was different, yet it was the same songs. And the liturgy was, very much similar, even though there were different inflections and different ways of going about it. Um, But it really birthed in me a desire um, to see what the church could look like by blending some of those characteristics together. So a lot of what I found in the formation of my faith has been really the beauty of Reformed theology, which I have grown to appreciate and love um, as a Reformed minister, currently serving in a Baptist church. Um, (laughs) However, I really appreciated the openness and the freedom um, that I learned in the Pentecostal church. And I really believe that those two expressions um, only helped to form in me a real ecumenical mindset about what the church could look like and what it looks like for us to worship together from different backgrounds and different cultures. And um, as the scripture says, from every nation to gather around the throne and to worship God. And that has really formed in me a deep passion and desire to continue to live in that um, and that intersection of faith and culture. And what does that look like for us to, to dive into that together, to, um, to really represent a picture of what the body of Christ can be. Mm. Mm. Wow. So, so now you're a parent, right? You've, I believe you have, you have two kids, two kids, Jaden and Zoe. Mm -hmm. And how old are your two kids? My kids are five and seven next month. Oh, that's mm. awesome. So yeah. fun. Yeah. How so I'm I'm wondering Most days. You're wondering how is <laughs> how how is so now as you parent and and based on your experience, mm-hmm. um, we're wondering how is the faith of you know your kids being mm-hmm. formed during worship and also how is your faith being formed as mm-hmm. a parent worshiping with their kids? 
You know, it's so interesting that you asked that question because I would say the last two years. So what I've noticed being a father almost seven years now, um, it's interesting because my wife and I waited for several years after we got married um, to start having kids. And as I look at my kids now, you know, even two years ago when they were three and five or two and four, um, there's a difference in their understanding and their capability of seeing and wanting to participate in different things in worship because, you know, they couldn't read then. Now they're starting to read and now they're starting to understand words. And so there's a lot of questions, you know, when we are, when we're praying together, you know, at night and talking about different things, they're, they're asking questions about certain things pertaining to their faith. And it's been interesting to watch um, their interest in the church. Um, they love coming and being a part of a faith community, but it's been really neat to see their, their passion and desire to grow and to learn more. And so that to me has been really encouraging. It's also been really challenging because it really calls us as parents to not only think about the spaces where we feel connected, but we've had to really understand how do our children feel connected to the worship experience? How do they feel connected um, to the church as a body and what is helping to form their faith? And so we've spent a lot of time, obviously in music. Um, I'm a worship leader and a pastor. My wife is a worship leader. And so our kids have been exposed to preaching and worship and conferences and you name it. Um, they're, they're PKs through and through. Yeah. So they've been exposed to all these things. And it's so funny because they will say sometimes, do we have to go to church today? We just went to church, you know, yesterday I'm thinking, yeah, we have to go to church today. But then once they get there and they're able to participate in things that connect with them, um, I've really found that it brings about their passion for learning more and wanting to grow in their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been neat to see them like my, just a couple of weeks ago, my son at church, I was doing special music and uh, we forgot the boom mic stand. I was playing the piano. And so he held up the microphone for me while I sang. And I, as I was playing the piano and singing, I was thinking, I can't believe I'm standing here with my almost seven-year-old son and he's holding the microphone for me to sing to. And I'm thinking to myself, what an opportunity for me as a parent to look and see the fruit of what God has done um, and how God has um, created this pathway through worship and through ministry to not only connect my children to faith, but also to challenge me to continue growing in my faith. Because Mm. I found that this generation that's coming up will have to face things that I didn't have to face and that you didn't have to face. Um, But as we continue to prepare them and as we continue to create spaces for them to learn more, um, I'm confident that the future is in really good hands. Mm. And um, I'm confident that the ministry that Christ has for his church will always continue and will go forward um, as we continue to sow into and invest um, in our little ones. Mm. Wow, that is so rich, Jeremy. And I, I love the the attentiveness you have that even while you're leading worship, you're aware of how your kids are experiencing it. Um, that's that's just a, a, a rich way of describing it there. Uh, mm. Wow. One of the conversations shifting just a little bit, but maybe not as far as it'll sound. Um, One of the conversations we've been having is around um, how being a leader in the church is actually an opportunity for our own ongoing discipleship. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've been a leader. I mean, you've described already down at eight years old, but you've been a leader in a whole bunch of different roles. You've mm-hmm. got a new ministry position. Congratulations, mm-hmm. by the way. Thank you. Um, and, and now, um, I, I wonder if you could reflect a little bit, what's it, what's it like to be a leader who is also a disciple? Like, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you hold those things? I'm supposed to be leading this group of people, but I need mm-hmm. to be growing yet too. I, you know what, what I, it's interesting you mentioned that Chris, what I found being a leader, um, I just preached about this like a month ago. And one of the things that is so, um, so important as a leader is understanding that you cannot lead without first being discipled. Um, one of the things that I've learned throughout the years, um, you know, starting in, in ministry leadership at a very young age was the ability to gleam and to not carry, um, not carry offense with you. And I think that that's really important because it's easy in leadership to carry bits and pieces of offense, you know, throughout the years. And for me personally, you know, I'll say this in story form. So a lot of people look and say, well, why are you, for example, I had a sabbatical a couple of years ago and they were like, well, why do you need a sabbatical? And I'm like, because I've been doing this for 32 years. (laughs) And so I'm tired. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I I need a break. I need a break to, to sit under the shepherd. And people are like, oh yeah, that's true. I've been in church um, in church week in and week out all of my life. I don't know what it is to not be in church. Yeah. And I've had to learn as a disciple that it wasn't just being in church. That was the process of discipleship. It's not just being in the space mm-hmm. with people in a Christ community, but it's taking time. It's taking time away. It's taking time to rest. And that's been, that's been what's, uh, what I believe has kept me all of these years has realizing the the importance of spending time alone with God and allowing God to disciple me through different valleys and mountaintops. Mm -hmm. Um, Whenever you're in ministry, there are places that are going to be high points and there are also places that are low points. You guys know this. And it's really easy sometimes to make our ministry models about us, our ability and our strengths. But I've had to recognize in being a disciple, it begins first with really, really, seriously relying on the Holy Spirit, relying on Holy Spirit's power and presence in our lives to recognize that without the Holy Spirit, we can accomplish nothing. Mm-hmm. But with the Holy Spirit's presence in us and working through us, we can accomplish anything. I really do believe that. Mm. And I've seen so much people often say to me, I don't understand. How are you able to pull people together. It seems like every time I see you're pulling people together from the Christian Reformed Church and the Reformed Church in America, the Pentecostal Church, the Baptist Church and the Methodist Church, all these things. And I said, you know, I, it's not anything that I'm doing. I'm not doing something special other than this. I'm spending time connecting with God and connecting with people. And I recognize that there's nothing that I can do apart from the power of the Holy Spirit at work. Mm. And in order for us to to recognize where the spirit is at work, we must pull away from our leadership models at times and say, hey, at, at, the, at the end of the day, when we stand before Jesus, no one's going to address us as Reverend Jeremy Simpson or Reverend Chris <laughs> or Reverend Karen DeBoer. We're going to be addressed as son or daughter. Yeah. And um, at the end of the day, that's what our discipleship path is about. Jesus said to come follow me. And I just realized in this journey of following him through the church, through people, 
through ministry that we we have to follow that voice, that still small voice that I believe is the Holy Spirit speaking to us and admonishing us and giving us supernatural wisdom and supernatural strategy beyond what we can learn. Um, and not saying that learning isn't important. It's, it's super important for our discipleship and our growth, but allowing the Holy Spirit to add the power to that piece, I believe really makes a difference in what our leadership can look like. It's, it's made a significant difference in my life. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I was down in Guatemala uh, several years ago, the first time, and we were ministering at this church that had also a medical facility. And so the host said to me that night, um, we were so hot, it was like a hundred and something degrees. And uh, he said, we're going to have a miracle service tonight. And now for most of us Christian Reformed folks, you know, that's a word that we don't really recognize. Um, now me having Pentecostal roots, I, when you say miracle service, I know what's up. Uh -huh. And so he says to me, um, I, so I said to him, I said, who's going to lead the miracle service tonight? He said, well, you are a pastor. And I said, oh, <laughs> I said, okay. And, it, and I remember that moment thinking, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing, what this is supposed to look like, how this is going to happen. But I said, Holy Spirit, I need your presence. I need your power. And I know you're here and I know that you're working. And so that reliance and dependence is everything. Um, and I believe that we only become stronger leaders when we recognize um, our need to be discipled by the spirit. Mm. That's, uh, man, that's, that's helpful. And in some sense, I, I, I admit that that's kind of a foreign language in the uh, reform communities I've grown mm. up in. Um, I, we're all good with saying God, the creator, and we're good with Jesus Christ and the redemption work, redemptive work that Jesus does, but come the Holy spirit and we get kind of quiet. Like we want to, <laughs> Yeah, the Holy Spirit. We we believe the Holy Spirit's God. We're not sure what to do. And mm -hmm. uh, I I think the the way you're describing the Holy Spirit is, is a recognition of the presence of the Spirit with us day in and day out. Yeah. And, and that's um, that kind of living. I, I mean, you didn't use the word, but living relationship, living dialogue with the Spirit. Yes. Um, it it does change things. It uh, does. Yeah. I think if we if we really grasp, you know, even thinking about the season that we're in with Advent, mm -hmm. we're waiting and longing to see how Emmanuel, God with us, will show up in these yeah. different spaces. And I have just always so appreciated the way that scripture informs us of the Holy Spirit being that manifest presence of Emmanuel, God with us. And that that to me has um that's really shaped the way that I understand discipleship that's really shaped the way that I understand this conversation of worship and culture intersecting because really there's I I'm, I consider myself to be a smart person somewhat <laughs> but we need the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and insight on the ways that worship and culture intersect and um, that has been such a blessing throughout the years for me to continue to learn and continue to grow and to understand that more. that tension you're naming between how do we how do we discern culture and worship and their engagement i re, i remember um i remember a conversation with a, a music historian who was talking a little bit about the history of the organ and how it started out as a bar instrument uh and that uh some of the um people in church at that day and age couldn't imagine 
uh, uh, organ ever being used in worship. And no. and now we have the opposite problem. Some people can't imagine uh, worship without an organ being present. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it just highlighted for me, listening to this historian, um, it, it highlighted how much uh, there is an ongoing ebb and flow kind of dialogue mm. between culture and worship and what's appropriate, yeah. what's not appropriate. I mean, from your role as a, a worship pastor and leader, how, how do you navigate that that kind of ongoing tension mm-hmm. between, oh, this is cult- really cultural and no, this is this is really appropriate for all God's like. How, how do you navigate the worship culture tension that's always always seems to be there? Yeah, I think navigating that tension begins with defining what is Christocentric in our worship and what is human preference. Um, you know, I think back to uh, the years of worship wars where they seemed like there was this big shift, you know, about 20 years ago where people were starting to move away from their traditional morning evening rhythm to now we're using the organ less and we're using bands more and now we're using people on microphones. And I I think that there's, there's this space um, when we understand um, what are the pieces of our worship that draw us together? What are the pieces of our worship where we understand and can see Christ at work? And I think that when we come together as, as God's people that are both gathered and sent out being in that space around table and around word and around sacrament means so much in the unifying work that Christ has already done. And then there's this other set that says, hey, this is my preference. We all have it, right? We all have our preferences for how um, our experiences should make us feel or what we should understand or what what we're getting out of it. And I've had to learn um, in that process that there are certain pieces that um, there are certain pieces in our liturgy, in our life's worship, if you will, of God that just don't belong to us. And that's all of it. The worship that we bring belongs to Jesus. It belongs Mm -hmm. to him alone. And I think that when we understand that, now it's easy to say those words, right? You guys work in ministry, so you get that. It's easy to stand up and say those things. It's another thing to put into practice. And I've had to learn how to surrender my will, how to surrender my heart, and how to surrender my preference to say, God, you already taught us how to pray. Mm-hmm. Your kingdom come, your will be done right here, right now, as it is in heaven. And I believe when we get to that place of understanding what that means and the connotations of that, we can move beyond our preference to allowing the spirit to unify our hearts and to bring us into an understanding of what this is actually about. You know, when I think about worship from a reformed context, the beauty of reform worship to me is that you can have a piece of this that is deeply theological and deeply rooted in community and deeply um, sacramentally oriented. But there's also a piece of it that says this can be a living, breathing thing that we all are living into. We're living into this intersection of faith and culture and worship, and we can really lean into what it looks like to be a diverse body of believers Mm-hmm. while yet understanding that our worship is Christocentric and centered on who Christ is. Mm-hmm. And so when we get to that place of centering our worship on who Christ is, it allows us the freedom to express that in a, a multifaceted approach of ways. So I've seen, I've seen worship that has shifted from not only focusing on 
um, you know, old bar instruments like a pipe organ to worship that is drawing people from the diaspora, from the global diaspora, from the Puerto Rican experience to the black experience, the European experience to the Asian experience. And is saying, how do we combine these things so we can show our Christian witness as this thing being centered on Christ, this Mm -hmm. thing being founded on Christ and what Christ has already done. And we can begin to live into that more fully in our witness to others on what it looks like to surrender our preference and our will. So we're not battling the tension consistently of what is Christocentric worship versus our preference, but now we've shifted our worship attitude and our mindset to this is about Christ. Mm-hmm. And this is this is about living into the unified work or the unifying work that Christ has already done. I've always um I've always been a believer in Revelation seven nine. Um, you know, John had this vision yeah. of people from every tribe and every tongue worshiping God. And I often say, um, I often say, maybe because it's coming up next month, that that Martin Luther King, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, had a vision that I believe was tied to that vision. I, I always think about his I had a dream speech. Mm-hmm. And he says, I have a dream that one day that these things will be the the result of this work that we're living into. And I I really look at Revelation 7-9 as that same type of manifestation of that vision. John had this, this, this revelation of a vision of what is to come, but already is. Mm-hmm. And so when we begin to live into that, I think that we begin to understand more fully um, what it is that we're to partner with and how we can do that together. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Jeremy, you just, you, you mentioned John's vision of every tribe and every nation, every culture coming together. And yet we know there's another tension often between race and the church. Mm. Um, and I watched twice because it's so powerful, this mm. conversation that you had in April mm. of this year with Rod Tucker from Edison Chapel, mm-hmm. um, a conversation about race in the church. Yeah. And during that conversation, you spoke about the difference between being invited to mm-hmm. the table and truly being seen yeah. and acknowledged and welcomed and valued yeah. at the table. And you spoke about that I mean, you gave a personal example and you spoke about it in such a powerful way. And I'm just wondering if you could say more about that. Sure. You know, there's there's so many instances I could speak on this. I've only lived my life um, as a Christ follower and as a um, a person who, um, while I am a, an African-American male, that's not the only thing that defines me, um, but it's a very important piece of my identity. And what I have found in the church, especially in this conversation on race in the church, is we have a lot of moments where we want to invite folks to the table. And I use the table, um, I use that term liberally to represent just as a gathering spot, you know, a place for people to come together. And there are many moments where we invite people to the table because it looks good or because it makes us hit our quota on numbers that we, you know, need to hit to say that we're diverse. Um, or that we have other people joining into whatever the conversation is that's happening around the table. But there's a difference between inviting someone to your table just to sit and watch you have dinner versus inviting them to come to the table and actually bring your meal, bring the pieces of your meal to the table that might not be here. So maybe we set up a dinner that had mashed potatoes and corn. Why don't you bring 
your fried chicken? Why don't you bring your adobo? Why don't you bring your, your, your tacos and your rice? Why don't you bring your macaroni and cheese and your collard greens? I didn't know this conversation was supposed to make us hungry. Um, <laughs> but I believe that there's, there's something to be said about inviting people into a table space to sit and watch versus inviting them to sit at the table and participate and not only participate from being served, but also serving. There's this, there's this reciprocal notion that says, now I'm recognizing that you have value at the table more than just what I'm seeing on the outside, but I'm actually doing the work to build relationship. And it's in building that relationship that we find the strength to work together and see that there might be differences that we have. Of course, there's going to be differences. That's the beauty of diversity. Jesus, God made us different. Our creator designed us in different ways with different different um, attributes and things that we can contribute to one another. But it's in understanding the value of those things where we begin to see a shift in what it looks like to sit at the table together and really all are welcomed at the table. When I think about this invitation that Christ gives us that says, you know, come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's not inviting just some. He's not inviting just black or white. He's inviting all and saying, this is a space for you. And I, I just believe that the church should be that space for everyone. Um, if we're to model that, if we're to live into what it means to be together, then we have to show what it looks like to really see value and welcome others to our table. And so I, I say really uh, practically for those, you know, I have a friend, for example, that uh, when I moved to Kalamazoo, he never really had any relationships with people of color. And it wasn't, um, it was for no other reason that he, he just didn't really put the time in to understanding what those relationships could look like. And he said to me, he said, I had so much fear in wanting to connect with people of different ethnicities because I didn't know if I would be judged. I didn't know if I would be accepted. And so I thought, I'm just going to distance myself from that happening. And he said, and then I met you and I, I realized, oh my goodness, I've been missing out on what it means to build relationships with other people. That's just one of many conversations yeah. that I've had in my ministry experience. And I think that the church um, can really get a good picture and an image of what it looks like to be welcoming and to truly value and see those that are at our tables when we say we don't just want you here, but we want you to participate. We want you to show us, show us your way. You know, I, I can think of being at churches where um, there's not a lot of racial diversity. And that can be difficult at times in different spaces because there's just not a lot of different racial groups sometimes in different areas. You know, how a conversation for this, uh, for a church in New York City is going to look different for a congregation in Iowa or a congregation in, you know, northern Canada or South America. Those, those con contextual places are going to be different. But the conversation nonetheless needs to point us to a place where our discipleship and our formation sees and values others as ourselves. It's loving both God and neighbor as ourselves. And it says in that, hey, you are welcome here. You're valued here. And what you bring to the table matters. Mm -hmm. um, and those spaces, I believe, create a place for God to dwell among us, God Emmanuel, in an even richer way, because we're seeing an expression of him that doesn't look like ourselves. Mm -hmm. And um, when I think about my kids, you know, you asked the question earlier about how it feels as a parent, um, you know, raising children 
to understand who Christ is, it's so important for, for my children and, and in my heart for them to understand and to see the image of God, not only in people that look like them, but in people that don't look like them, because it creates a heart of compassion. It mm-hmm. creates a mindset that says, this isn't all about me and what I want and what I like, but there are many other people in the world and they do things differently. And I can learn from that and I can see that, that expression and that in itself shows me another image of who God is and how he's designed and made us. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, it, it caught my attention as you were describing that, um, kind of, kind of the, the framework around this that you're operating in. You, you named at one point, the revelation seven passage and the calling forward to this new kingdom that's coming. Um, you named, we were created the verse by our God that, that it actually goes back to creation and, and you kind of bookended your framework with these two mighty acts of God, uh, of creating something in the beginning and recreation at the, at the end mm-hmm. that brings us all together. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there's, there's something I, I think beautiful in the way you were describing that, that actually went from those big picture ideas that are sometimes hard to get our minds around, mm-hmm. um, to saying practically, well, it's about, talking with someone that you haven't talked about before uh, Mm -hmm. talked with before you haven't connected with them before. And, Mm -hmm. and you, you brought that down to a a pretty accessible level of Mm. let's sit and talk to somebody who's different. Yeah. Um, That, um, that to me is pretty, a pretty powerful and compelling vision of what church can be. Mm -hmm. Um, Not just because it meets some racial reconciliation idea or agenda, Right. But because it's inhabiting the kingdom of God, it's inhabiting who we're called to be as God's created people. That's uh, it. That's powerful, man. That is, I, I think that it's, it's life changing. It's ministry changing. Um, it's challenging and it's costly. Um, you know, when I think over these past 30 plus years being in ministry, um, I'm almost 40. And uh, when I think about these past years, I think about the times where it has cost me relationships. It has Mm -hmm. cost me, um, it's cost me a lot of pain at times in doing this work. I've even asked myself in the last few years, there were moments where I said, you know, God, I, I want to trust in this vision that John had to see a church and a, a people of every tribe and every tongue and every language, you know, coming before the throne. And there are moments I won't, I won't lie to you where I thought, is this, is it still possible? Is mm-hmm. it, is it going to happen? You know, did, mm-hmm. did we hear that wrong? Did the, did the people that wrote this down, did they get it wrong? <laughs> because God, it seems, because God, at times it seems that we don't want to listen to each other. At times it seems that we don't, we, we say that we want you to come here and be a part of the table, but then when we get you here, we don't want you to say anything. We don't want you to partake in the meal. We just want you to eat what's been served. And, um, you know, I, I, have, I have found in those moments where the work is hard and where the work is costly and challenging, that those are the spaces where God um, uses those moments to disciple us. Mm-hmm. And he's used those moments in my life to disciple me to understand, Hey, but this is about you loving me and loving your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And so what does it look like to love your neighbor? Um, and that's a, that's a whole message within itself, right? That's yep. a whole 
ideal within itself. Um, but when God calls us, he equips us. And what I found is, um, even in that discipleship that I was speaking earlier, speaking of earlier, it's in those moments of being discipled by the spirit where we recognize, um, the value that I believe God places on us living into that more fully together. Um, you know, we look throughout scripture and you you see the, the great tension um, between Jew and Greek and all these different cultures that are there. And what does Jesus say through all of this? He's always consistently teaching um, his people. He's teaching the ones that are learning of him. Hey, this is what it looks like to live in community with each other. And so he literally comes, moves into the neighborhood, puts skin on and shows us what it is to do life with other people. Mm -hmm. He literally shows us what it is to do life with folks that don't come from the same cultural backgrounds, that don't come from the same um, religious backgrounds, that don't come from the same um, ident- identity backgrounds, all this stuff, he shows us how we can actually do life together. And it begins with serving one another. It begins in that place of being a disciple who serves, a disciple that will give up one's own ideas and their way of doing things to say, hey, How can we be curious about this together and learn the ways that the Spirit is calling us to partner and the ways that the Spirit is calling us to invest and the ways that the Spirit is calling us to mentor and to shape and equip? And um, one of the ways that we do this, uh, just really practically here in Kalamazoo, we started an after-school program here this year with one of our local Christian schools, and we call it The Village. So we partner with the school here. Um, They come over to our building and we give them an after-school arts experience. So it's not just an after-school program where they're getting only academic experience, but they're also able to come and be trained by phenomenally gifted artists, um, both musically and creatively, to learn different skills. So we've done stuff like a pipe organ crawl, and we've done um, a drum set, uh, drum set day or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. done digital music and painting and drawing and all these things. And we create this experience with these students that are black and white and Latino and Asian to show them what it is to live together. And some of these kids, like I remember even doing the pipe organ crawl, we went to three different churches downtown. Some of the kids were like, oh, these are the castle churches, you know, and we're going through these pipe organs and some of them are like, we've never seen they're like, we've never seen this type of music in a castle. I'm like, well, one, it's not a castle, it's a church, but <laughs> it's okay. They can call it the castle church. And it's so neat to see their eyes light up and their faces be so excited about what they're learning and to come back and, and to hear their stories. We had show and tell this last week, and some of them were saying about the, their experience this semester and how they had never experienced some of those things. They'd never been in a room with so many students that didn't look like them. Um, but they're in a place that is fostering that environment. And I believe that as the church fosters that environment, if we are intentional about creating those spaces and fostering those environments for this next generation, um, I believe that it will only help to inform and shape a worship experience for them that will be rich, that will be, um, that will be formative, that will be discipleship making, and that will bear much fruit in their lives as they look back, as they continue to grow They'll see the development of this thing that's happening in their life. And they probably won't have words for it until they're a little older, mm-hmm. but they'll look back and say, wow, this was an experience where I, I was able to see people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation and language 
bound before the throne and we're engaging in kingdom work and we're seeing God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we can live into that and we can pray into that and we can be active in that. And that's, um, that I believe, um, for me personally, that's my heart. That's, that's the heart of my ministry. That's the heart of what I believe the Holy spirit laid on me 30 something years ago. And, um, I'm going to keep living into it until it lifts. I'm going to keep living into it. I'm going to keep doing it because that's, that's where it's at. That's what counts. And Mm -hmm. every conversation, every worship experience, every sermon, every conference, whatever it is, um, I'm just going to keep living into that until I see more and more of that vision come into life. Jeremy, I love that example of like, it just, the village, the fact that it's called the village, that you have a show and tell that you not only go and see all these different things, but that you come back and say, what did you think? What did you Mm -hmm. notice? What did you hear? Um, And that's just such a beautiful, um, thank you for painting a picture of what would it be like if the church was like the village and provided space for people to react and to share what they're thinking and to show their gifts in those ways. Yeah. Um, that's really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. So one of the um, questions we asked during season one, uh, and and we decided we're going to keep this going in our bonus episodes, and we'll keep nice. asking it in season two, is... Um, we use as part of our, our branding logo for open to wonder, a park bench. It's actually a Mm. pew bench sitting out in a park somewhere. And Mm. uh, imagine you're sitting in a pew like bench um, and uh, near to us is a a speaker's corner. Some of these parks used to have those little speaker's corners where people would Mm -hmm. get up and say what they want to say and people could listen or not. But um, you're you're invited to step up on the box. You actually get invited and somebody says, Jeremy, come up mm. on that box. Um, mm. You got freedom to say what you want to say um, about worship, faith formation, church as a whole, whatever, whatever's on your heart. Mm. You're given a freedom to say something. What do mm. you think you would say? Wow, that's a that's a big question. My mind goes to a hundred things. Do you, do you use this moment to say what you really want to say? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I would say probably something similar to what I just said a few moments ago. I think that the more that we live into um, this vision of seeing people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language together, Um, I think the more that we are intentional about living into that and the more that we take time to live into that versus just talking about it, I think that we will see the greatest, and I use this term for exactly what I mean in saying it, I think that we'll see the greatest move of the church we have ever seen. Mm. Um, Because I think that for generations, we have tried to do our own thing Um, We've tried to spur on our own identities over and over and over and over. And I just wonder what would happen if we lived into that? What would happen if, what would happen if every church, um, and I'm going to use the term building, um, what would happen if every church building said, you know what, we're going to stop doing our vein this way and your vein that way. And yes, there are different things that, um, you know, of course, there are differences that we have, maybe based around theological understanding of certain things. But what if we put, push that over just a little bit and said, hey, let's get together 
and let's really start living into worshiping King Jesus from every tribe and tongue and nation and language. I just wonder what would happen. Um, I wonder who would record it and I wonder who would promote it throughout the world. Um, you know, COVID has been the thing that we've been focusing on the last couple of years. And I just wonder what would happen if the church came together and started living into that. I wonder if, I wonder if we could tip the scales. I wonder if we could, um, if we could really see a great move, um, and perhaps the greatest that the church has seen. I just wonder. Mm, mm. Well, thank you for that. Jeremy, it's been a pleasure to um, spend some time with you today. Uh, opportunity to hear a bit more of your story and certainly you. of your heart. Um, we thank you for that. Um, and thank you for the leadership you're doing on the local level uh, mm. um, to engage um, with kids in Kalamazoo, with um, with communities around West Michigan, and certainly more broadly uh, through your various leadership roles. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Jeremy. This has been a gift. Thank you. Appreciate that. Good to be with you all. Open to Wonder is a podcast by Faith Formation Ministries. If you've enjoyed wondering with us, leave us a review. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at CRC Faith Formation, on Twitter at CRC underscore FFM, or you can send us an email at faithformation at crcna.org. And we love hearing from our listeners, so please do. You can also find us online where we share toolkits and resources for growing faith. And all of those are in the show notes. Thanks for listening.